0: Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Harry, and we've reached our final episode of season 5 where we're looking at films made in the last decades, the 2010s. And for the last episode I thought I'd look at a little hidden gem of a movie that may have been overshadowed by the awe of the comic book era and rise of certain indie films. So for today we should be looking at the 2011 comedy fantasy romance film Midnight in Paris. Written and directed by Woody Allen and starring Owen Wilson, Rachel McAdams, Kathy Bates and Michael Sheen. This marks my 50th episode, finally completing five full seasons of the previous five decades of some of the greatest films that have truly tested times in terms of solidifying itself in history, creating a legacy, a benchmark for films to come in the future. To inspire, to provoke, to challenge new filmmakers or existing filmmakers, experienced ones, to produce new benchmarks, form new legacies and even pay tribute to the classics that have inspired them to become the best that they can be. Woody Allen, one of the few filmmakers still going from the late 60s and to continue to develop with age like a fine wine, someone who has stayed true to his unique style and adapted throughout the decades, a man whose films where he writes, directs and stars in, a trademark he repeats now and again in this movie, started it and spanned a 50-year filmography of some classics, starring in 1969 with Take the Money and Run, and then from then slowly establishing himself as a talent in the romantic comedy genre. It wasn't until 1977, eight years after his debut, did he finally raise eyebrows with critics and audiences at a global scale with his comedy-drama Annie Hall. Probably one of his best pieces of work, the equivalent to Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs or M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, the breakout film that started a long and successful career with movies arguably just below par of their breakout movie. Annie Hall was Woody Allen's. The film won two Oscars, Best Writer and Best Director. In fact, since 1977, when Annie Hall came out, with the exception of 1981, he has managed to direct a movie once every year. He's been nominated 19 times, and of that, won four Oscars. Two of them, as you know, for Annie Hall. The best one, or the other ones, are for Anna and her sister in 1986, nine years after Annie Hall. And then it wasn't until 2011, 25 years after his last Oscar, did he win another one for Best Writing Again, this time for this film, Midnight in Paris, the film we shall take a closer look into. In fact, when he won the Oscar for the Best Original Screenplay in 2011, he became the oldest winner for that category at age 76. No one has ever been nominated more times for writing than Woody Allen has in the history of the Academy so with midnight in Paris we follow Gil who's on a trip to Paris with his fiancee to visit her parents. He's a uh well, yeah, he's a somewhat successful Hollywood script writer, but as he walks the streets of Paris, he gets you know reignited with nostalgia and wants to try his hand at a novel, and whilst in Paris, he somehow finds himself travelling back in time to the nineteen twenties in Paris, living comfortably amongst his idols and peers in a complete perpetual denial. The plot is somewhat reminiscent of Woody Allen's famous short story, "The Kungelmas Episode," in which a romantic character magically travels into the world of novels where he can be with his dream lovers or his idols. There is also another reference to the plot of this movie. It may probably be inspired by Mulberry Jordan incident in 1901, in which two academics—and this is a true story—it was Charlotte Anne Mowbray and Eleanor Jordan. Claim to have experienced a time slip into pre-revolutionary France on the grounds of Versailles, which of course we can never prove, but they claim that's what happened. Now, if you know Woody Allen, most of his characters, most of his protagonists, in fact, are usually semi-famous or successful writers or just something to do with writing or art, like Diane Keaton and Annie Hall, who's a journalist, or Scarlett Johansson, who is an abstract artist in Match Point. Whether they are authors, artists, or in this case, a scriptwriter like Owen Wilson's character in this movie, um, they have certain representations for what Woody Allen is actually like, because he likes to paint, he's got a massive influence in journalism... And, of course, he's a writer. Um, actually, I was reading the other day as well. He was um, He's made all these films, but most of his money's come from real estate. Um, and he said in an interview that um, he's made the most money from selling buildings instead of making movies, which is actually quite revealing. But like Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen likes to reference famous artists and icons from the past. These movies being, I mean, this one particularly being quite easy to do so since time travel was a premise for this film. And we have these cameo appearances from people like uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Zelda Fitzgerald, Salvador Dali, Ernest Hemingway, amongst others. And also, like most of his films, he tends to explore a city in his movies, serving not as a backdrop, but has a character of its own. It's really stretching the city throughout the movie, acting more as a tourist film than a normal rom-com movie. Very evident in his recent films, as his earliest films used to just be in New York City. But as we look more contemporary, we see Midnight in Paris, we see Vicky Cristina Barcelona, we see Matchpoint in London, we see To Rome With Love amongst other famous cities serving as the film's setting and also as a side note, as a character too, like I just mentioned. And it's also an interesting coincidence that this film was set in Paris because that year it was nominated for Best Film against other films that were also related or linked to Paris or France. The artist, which actually ended up winning best film that year, a silent movie, which, uh, was made, well, during the 1920s predominantly, um, was a French cast done in France. Uh, there was another film called Hugo, which was set in Paris. The Adventures of Tintin as well. Puss in Boots, which is from a French fairy tale. Rise of the Planet of the Eights, which is based on a novel by a French person, Pierre Biel. And of course, A Cat in Paris. So the 2012 Academy was very French or very French-related. Ironically, though, there was no French films that were nominated for Best Foreign Film, which is uh, the chink in the chain, I guess. So we have a lot of cameos, like I mentioned before. We have Tom Hiddleston, who plays Scott Fitzgerald, and of course, who is known for writing The Great Gatsby, with his old sport reference now and again in this movie. And he got the role simply by getting a letter from Woody Allen, with only 15 pages of the script offering him the part. Um and the letter only had three sentences in it, which was Dear Tom, I'm making a movie in Paris this summer. I've attached some pages. I'd love for you to play the role of Scott. And he's now got the letter framed at his office now, which when he um which is quite interesting because he's a big Woody Alley fan, but um Woody Woody Allen fan. But when he was on set and then he um he saw, you know, obviously he was dressed in period clothing, 1920s costume but Owen Wilson was there and he wasn't in his period clothing. He was in his normal outfit. And he asked him why he wasn't in clothing like they were. And Tom didn't know that Midnight in Paris was a time travel movie because he only got 15 pages of the script. And Woody Allen tends to do that with a lot of his um, actors as well. He doesn't indulge them with the entire script, just the uh, the main parts for their characters. And they're actually now both um, Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston are actually working together in the TV series Loki, which is... Quite exciting, Owen Wilson playing a mysterious role in the Marvel Universe that we're not too sure of what he is uh, doing yet. Don't know what character he's meant to be playing. And Corey Stoll, who most of us know from House of Cards, so he plays Russo and also in the Marvel Universe as well, playing the antagonist in Ant-Man. He plays Ernest Hemingway in this movie. Woody Allen didn't tell him how to play it, so naturally, Corey was quite nervous approaching this role of this rather famous writer, uh, not, not to mention playing it for Woody Allen as well. So, where, um, But Woody Allen's very notorious. He doesn't rehearse his um, films. He just um, expects the actors to do it, and then he'll give advice if needs be. So, you know, he was especially nervous when it came time to shoot in his scene, and so he did his version of Hemingway on the first take, and Woody Allen just said, that's perfect, to his relief. And I was reading earlier, actually, that Ernest Hemingway... And F. Scott Fitzgerald may have actually been gay and had a relationship in the 1920s. And that's apparent because of what Zelda accused him, according to some historians, which is why they had a rocky relationship. And it wasn't just that, their fidelity issues, alcoholism, the whole nine yards, basically anything that could go wrong in a marriage, it did. And this is somewhat hinted in the movie when Zelda, played by Alison Peel, says, I don't want to be here. If Ernest is here, then I'm going to go. And with And she goes off with this Spanish guy. So Woody Allen clearly knows his history in the 1920s or just his, you know, the backstory to the real life people um, that were alive back then. And he tries to add these little bits of um, hints to back up these theories that have long been going about these real life people. Um, And obviously uh, just... F- infidelity and just general cheating in his films are very common. Pretty much all of his movies are based around someone cheating with someone else. And with this film, it was Rachel McAdams' character who cheats on Gil. Uh, to be fair, Gil cheats on her with Adriana. But in this normality, that makes it, you know, with the time travel element, it's okay, I guess, in this film. But the idea of cheating in Woody Allen's, and Woody Allen's films are okay, especially in the number of movies he's done. That involves it, especially the main character, who is usually the one doing the dirty deed. Now... When Rachel McAdams read her part, she learned that Inez was a bit of a bitch, wasn't likable, and was quite reluctant to play her. But Woody Allen said, look, you don't want to play the nice girl all the time. Playing this role will be better for your career. And, of course, you take Woody Allen's advice when you get given it. So she accepted the role. Probably the first time she's played an unlikable character since Mean Girls. It is actually the fourth time she is playing the love interest uh, to a time traveler, of course. She played... Eric Banner's wife in the Time Traveler's Wife. She plays Don Hall Gleason's girlfriend in About Time. She obviously plays the fiance to Owen Wilson in this film, Midnight in Paris. And then she went on to play the love interest of Benedict Cumberpatch in Doctor Strange, a random statistic to have. But Midnight in Paris, amongst his, you know, amongst his fifty to sixty films that Woody Allen's has, you know, he's done, he's actually Midnight in Paris is the most successful movie of all time it grossed over 150 million worldwide in fact this is the first film of his to gross over 100 million at all let alone 150 million most nominated as well he got uh, it was four oscars for this film um he got nominated for winning one of them for writing as i mentioned earlier and it was also nominated for best film best director and best set design as well the last time he got this many nominations for the academy was back in 1994 I think for what was it bullets over broadway so it was that film that you know that midnight in paris that reestablished him as a you know the great woody allen for someone who was 76 at the time someone you know someone who thought you know his age might go or you know his talent might go I mean he still clearly has it making films from 1977 remember 1977 was when Star Wars came out so rom-com films weren't really on the rise it was you know big films like Jaws and Star Wars the sci-fi movies, Star Trek was also coming out at that time so for Woody, for Woody Allen to keep the rom-com genre alive which was quite you know already there since the 50s is quite an achievement. And to still have that caliber um, with Midnight in Paris in 2011, like 30, 40 years later, is quite an achievement. So he had a preferred cast when he started writing his film in 2010, but they weren't available. And so he was thinking of not doing the film at all. When the lead actor was not available, and we still don't know who it was, they were considering options. And then Owen Wilson's name came up, and Woody Allen thought, yeah, okay. And then he rewrote the whole character... For his persona. According to Woody, uh, not Woody Allen, according to Owen Wilson, the two didn't meet until the first day of filming, which is actually quite regular for the lead actor and the director. Um, But this is the second time that both uh, Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams have played love interest with each other. Both played the love interest in Wedding Crashes. However, Rachel McAdams actually started an on off screen relationship with co star Michael Sheen during the making of this film. I think they dated for about three years before they broke it off. But now, we are blessed with fictional, non-fictional cameos in this movie, like the appearances of Salvador Dali and Hemingway, like I mentioned earlier. But we are also blessed with real-life cameos in this film as well. Now, Carla Brunei, if that name doesn't ring a bell, and it didn't to me, but she plays the tour guide at the Rodin Museum. Um, uh, She's the guy that um, Michael Sheen's character is arguing with about the authenticity or the correction of something. I think it was... um. Someone was meant to be someone's mistress. and They're arguing about something. She's basically a tour guide. She was actually the first lady of France at the time of filming. She was married to uh, Nicolas Sarkozy since February 2008, which is such a random cameo. That's pretty much the only cameo in the film. And then, of course, with the time travel element, we have these real-life people dotted around Paris that Gil meets from time to time, you know, further in the course of this movie. Now, at the beginning of this time slip, when Gil first goes to the um, Gertrude Stein who is a massive character of her own. Someone called Alice opens the door of her apartment. Now this is going back to, you know, Woody Allen playing on these theories that have, you know, long been existed in the books of history, like Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald being gay. And um he does these subtleties in his movies. He doesn't do it with just this movie, he does it with all of them. But when he um when Gil first goes to see Gertrude Stein, who's played by Kathy Bates, um, someone called Alice opens the door at her apartment. It's very brief, but her, um, they mention that her name's Alice and she just opens the door. Now, according to historians, this could very well be Alice de Toclas, who was Gertrude Stein's longtime romantic companion. In fact, until the day she died in 1946. And when they are at Gertrude Stein's place again, she's arguing with Pablo Picasso, another person. Now, if you look in the background of that scene, you can see a portrait of her in the background painted by Pablo. And that's a real painting, which was painted in 1906, I think. So these little, not only do we have these obvious cameos of Picasso and Ernest Hemingway and, you know, T.S. Lewis, but you have these subtleties of um, side notes like uh, like Alice opening the door and the paintings in the background. Little sort of memorabilia in the background for audiences or really big art fans, I guess. And you also have um other little moments when Gill discovers that a woman uh, with whom he had been dancing with was Juna Barnes, who in 1936 published her now classic novel, Nightwood. Now, Gill remarks about Barnes wanting to lead when they dance is an oblique reference to Barnes' bisexuality and the lesbian subject matter of Nightwood, which is actually another nice piece of writing there by Woody Allen. And Woody Allen was also named, you know was also named the main character of his movies everyone says i love you which is pretty much set in paris after juno barnes as well and my personal favorite time or movement back was the surrealist movement and i love everything about it i love the manifesto that dali done and his paintings and the works he's done and just the whole surrealist movie uh movement and of course from Louis brunel who also makes an appearance in this movie as well now salvador dali played by adrian brody who him and owen wilson have worked together in various Wes Anderson, West Anderson films like *A Grand Budapest Hotel, hotel and the Darlington Limited um, but they share a scene in this movie as well and there's a scene where Owen Wilson tries explaining to Salvador Dali, uh, Louis Brunel and the Man Ray that he is really from the future. Now instead of saying that he's from the year 2000 he mistakenly says the 2000 millennium which would actually make him from the year 2 million which doesn't really make sense does it? But then I thought about it. Now, if they're surrealists, many of them would have used what Jill says to start or make this movement, which, who knows, is a clever touch on Woody Allen's part that none of these movements would have happened if it wasn't for the involvement of Jill traveling back in time. And this is definitely confirmed when he has that conversation of Louis Brunel. He simply tells Louis Brunel imagine a party that never ends and no one can leave and louis brunel goes well why not and he just says they just can't leave and leaves it at that and of course he's talking about the very famous surrealist film the exterminating angel which was done in the 1960s i think where a party ends but no one can leave for some ungodly reason it's a really famous surrealist film Um, but it's sort of playing on the idea that the surrealist movement wouldn't have probably happened if it wasn't for gill and this Little error in the script is actually probably deliberate by Woody Allen, this 2000th millennium, which is sort of going on the fact that maybe the future is out there and it's coming back. And this is what started this whole movement of, you know, things not making sense because you just had to accept it. And hence why, you know, he painted the the melting clocks and the other surrealist paintings that they're famous for. I mean, the movie is a love letter to that period in the 20s in Paris where some of the greatest artists that we have come to know and love rub shoulders rub shoulders with each other. And it reflects the idea of being lost in the present. Um, I mean, after season five, after this podcast, I'm going to go revisit 1920s films. And um, I think it's a fitting way to end season five because I'm going to go back and do... Uh, films in 1920s which is probably the talkies decades but um i mean it's more the silent era but it started quite late in the decade but the film it's it's all about nostalgia it's something that is highly addictive and yet quite satisfying like most addictions are and woody allen is, what what he's done here is being a guy who has spanned a career that is over 50 years has made this into a reality to physically be able to go back and forth and witness these great names and actions but more importantly to drop the reality that you're in the troubles you may be and lose yourself in a simpler time. Now with Owen Wilson's character, there doesn't seem to be any trouble. He's completely willing to love Inez despite her cheating on him. But yet he's, you know, he's, he's he's rich. He's successful. He's, um, he doesn't really have any flaws by the looks of it. He's just a simple guy, but he's just missing a simpler time despite his success and possible wealth. Now people, like to look back and it's why we have reminders on our social media to tell us what we were doing this time last year what has become of us physically mentally over the time uh that we've wasted or maybe done something with in the last you know the last year it's the reason people invite memories fantasize over school days uni days days when you were kids without worrying about bills looking back like jill at a simpler time uh and has this movie invites that fantasy as reality but like most things that tickles With an addiction of looking back, the conclusion of this movie always arrives at the present. And that's sort of the message here. No matter what you do, no matter how far you go back, you always arrive at the present or the future. Because realistically, it's only an experience. It only exists to you as a memory. And it's about making your present, your new nostalgia for the future. And the more and more you look back and live in that world, the world you start to let go. it, It starts to catch up with you and you start to realize what you were missing. Now with Owen Wilson's character, it's his appreciation for simplicity because he has made a life for himself and he believes the things that are beautiful are simple things like walking in the rain and living in Paris instead of Hollywood. And he would drop his Hollywood house for this. And this comes back to you know Woody Allen saying even when you arrive at success, you always seem to go backwards again. And that's the premise of life. It's not about going higher and higher. It's about being high And then when getting there, looking back and then realizing that that was the time to be really excited about. Sometimes we don't even know about that until you reach that high and it becomes a memory. You know, you become anxious about a trip or a party or a big move or a night out and throughout the night or trip you're on edge, but then you enjoy it. And it's not until you look back about it afterwards do you realize how much that moment meant to you. And this is what I believe... Woody Allen's trying to do with this film with the sugarcoating of big idols in the 1920s and the backdrop of Paris as well I mean with movies now they try to do this non-stop Trop thing where films these days are more appealing if you are visiting nostalgia hence why films like it who goes back to the 80s or back to the future which goes back to the 50s or tv shows like stranger things that go back again to the 80s are very appealing now because we remember what it was like when it was just toys and not technology and films are not even attempting to do things in the present but rather the Rather than, you know, they're doing films in the future or the past, and it's till, until you accept you can create another a nostalgic moment for yourself in the present, does this dealing of looking back go away? I mean, there is a difference between reminiscence and nostalgia. This difference is really the crux of the matter when it comes to the thematic side of this film. Owen Wilson's character in this, he's not really reminiscent for a time in his own life that he felt was more rewarding or more meaningful than the present. He's actually yearning for the nostalgia of the golden age. Uh, In his opinion, that age was the 1920s. He idolizes the major artists, the writers, and creative influences of the time. And this is why there are these characters that he meets during the course of his time travel, because he is really stuck when it comes to writing his novel. His encounters... Are with primary literary figures who are able to help advise and encourage him with his novel. Looking back for the opportunity to develop in the present is the sole reason why one should really efficiently spend time looking into the past. And that's why, and that's what uh, Owen Wilson does in this movie. He rids his horrible fiancee, he meets a girl that he like, you know, that likes him and does what he always wanted to do, not what he was dragged down to do. And I think it serves as a very important lesson to. Life and how to live it and I think this film nails that message perfectly but yeah I mean I could talk about the film a little bit more and more about the message of nostalgia but I think I'll leave it there I think I've gone over 20 minutes by a bit so that's all I have time for with Midnight in Paris and more specifically the end of season 5 I hope you've enjoyed it um, I'm going to start season 6 soon with 1920s movies um, and more just about the history of what hollywood is trying to do in that decade but anyway please subscribe to me on google itunes and spotify and i'm also on instagram film exploration all lowercase oh sorry film exploration a h or lowercase or one word and once again thank you for listening to film exploration with ash hurry